Welcome to another episode of Differences Not Deficits, where we discuss what we are learning and changing in our therapy so we can support and empower neurodivergent individuals with compassion and respect. Thank you for listening so we can all learn together. The primary purpose of Differences Not Deficits is to educate and inform. The views expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not constitute educational or medical advice. Listeners should consult with their professionals familiar with each individual or family for specific guidance. Hi, welcome to episode seven of the Differences Not Deficits podcast. Today, we'll be sharing part two of our interview with Kim Clary and her husband, William. If you haven't listened to part one, which is episode six, you'll want to listen to that first. We had such a wonderful time interviewing Kim and William. They were a pleasure to talk to and hear Kim's unique perspective as an autistic adult and professional, as well as William's perspective in supporting Kim and vice versa. We broke the interview down so you as listeners can really hear her and take in what she is saying. She's truly thriving because she is allowed to be herself. And that is something we all need to hear. So let's get back to the interview. You know, I'm kind of curious, and and this might be, you know, the next question we ask is, is discovering all of those things, how did, how did you discover that? Is that related to your interception discovery? And can you tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, two different things. So discovering some of the social stuff, discovering, well, I knew I had difficulty with social situations, but (laughs) kind of decoding some of the social stuff came when I was 30, Mm. 31. That's when it started. And it started with TV because William, he, he loves um, movies and shows. He's a writer. Mm -hmm. So he really likes stories. And I never liked TV or movies because I never understood them. And I would always ask people to explain what was going on, but they would say, Shh, be quiet. We're watching. So <laughs> I just quit asking and pretend that I knew what was going on. But William, he asked me if I wanted to watch a show and I said, no. And I told him why. And he said, well, how about this? I will pause the show anytime you have a question and answer. So he didn't realize that you know, a 45 minute show would end up taking two hours and this I mean, we this is our nightly routine is watching a show and so we've been together now for been married for five years yeah. but before that we were together for about three yeah. and every single night i would pause it and say why is that person crossing their arms why did he look at her why did they use that tone and etc and then i could start building a vocabulary on some of these nuances the social vocabulary yeah where you had seen people act that way on television and then so it translated into real life social situations where it's like oh okay i know that this person is thinking or feeling or meaning this because i saw that on the on the show and yeah so i'll see something in real life and in my mind i my mind flashes back to the scene that I asked William about when I saw something similar and his response. So then I have a, an idea of what might be going on. And then in the beginning, I would, I would check that out with William. And I remember at the 
riding an airplane. Is that does that person look angry to you? He looks like he looks like Leonard looked in Big Bang when <laughs> and that's kind of what helped me. But I was that started at age 30. And in life situation and group situations, you can't pause people and ask those questions and you can't rewind it. Yeah. But in television, I can do that. And a lot of autistic people really gravitate towards towards some sh shows. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I've, I've, with a lot of the people that I work with, they also use TV, but in different ways to help them understand the social world Make and help the world. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned that that was like when you were, you, did you just start looking into that when you were 30? Yeah. Do you think that as you've gotten older, that you're able to kind of look at more and look at more of that social? Like, is it helped you to be as you age to kind of, I don't know, broaden your awareness or because I think that's an important point that we don't think about, you know, I mean, I hate to say this, but I've, I've actually heard people say or been said they're whatever, eight, 18, they're not going to make any more social progress. I've, I've, I've heard things like that. And, and I just, for me, no, I don't believe that, but I just, I just am curious as you got older, did you feel that you kind of were even more able to like learn more? I was more, I'm more able for two, two reasons. One, or probably multiple, but <laughs> having having a William in my life. But no, um, also understanding my sensory needs and what I needed in order to be present so I could learn those things was yeah. imperative. If I'm sensory dysregulated, I can't do anything. And I, I'm... I can't learn. It's impossible. And also with that understanding interoception and, and getting a better awareness of, of what I need to regulate my body and my mind and when I need it and how to get it. And so that's where interoception comes in. And I think it's really important to I mean, interoception is really a, a, it's not basic, but a foundation. Yeah, foundation. It's a and foundational skill. Well. Yeah. So, and this kind of goes back to your interoception part, and I'm going to try to link mm -hmm. this stuff together. But, okay, so the social stuff was in my 30s. When I was 26, that's when I started noticing that my body felt differently in different situations and that those were emotions. And I did a lot of journaling throughout my life. It's how I was able to really express what was going on. And I dissected them. And <laughs> my journals, that's what helped me figure out what my emotions were and how not... So I experience emotions in colors, shapes, and textures. And so my whole life, people would talk about, you know, do this when you're anxious or yeah. this is what anxious looks like. This is what sad looks like. I didn't know what any of that 
men. Those were just meaningless words. <laughs> Nobody helped me understand that, you know, blue swirlies was sad or purple polka dots is joy. Like nobody helped me put that together. Um, I have synesthesia and that's when my senses can kind of mix. And that's what what that is. And it's a really beautiful thing. I see a lot of, it, it's just, it it's pretty. <laughs> and, but it can be really hard because I just, I didn't understand, you know, my emotions. And when I started dissecting my journals, I noticed patterns and I noticed what actions and urges that I did or that I had were connected to the different sensations, images, and colors that I also experienced. And then I would analyze the situation and the environment. And it was just like a whole science <laughs> thing. Uh, yeah, discovery. And really piecing all that together. And before learning those, before learning typical emotion labels and being able to match them to my experiences, a lot of times my journals had a lot of graphic thoughts or words, repeated you know, nonsensical phrases. I used a lot of imagery, some were very disturbing. And I would try to express those. Mm -hmm. But then I was told not to think that way or that they're wrong, or it would send off people's alarms. But that's just, that was my vocabulary. Yeah. Yes, and, I've heard that before. Yeah, and once I was able to figure out, well, one, figure out how to label what I was experiencing, and also how to, so those are for emotions like happy, sad, excited, frustrating. Those I see in color, shapes, and textures. Emotions like tired or hungry or sick. Those are very weak isn't the right word, but I don't feel them very well. Or I feel them in different parts of my body. And so then I had to learn how to decipher if it's this stomach sensation, it means that I'm hungry. If it's this one, it's that I'm about to start my period. And that took a lot of time. But knowing, um, developing interoceptive awareness and self-understanding then helped me to better understand how to connect to you know, the social environment and help me to better understand external Things. So how long did it take you, would you say, that you really felt like you understood what was happening in your body and effectively communicating that, that what's happening inside to others? So, you know, kind of from the start of when you discovered interception, like how long did that journey take you? I'm still learning now. It's, it's a process. And because as you grow, as you age naturally, your body goes through different different changes and you have different sensations and yeah that so i'm always growing in that but i would say it took me so when i first started i would say about 6 years i was using a lot of uh, visual charts and visual keychains that i would make and william and i developed a 
like a, a check-in system to check in with how my body's feeling. And I use that very, very consistently for about six years. And then now I've internalized a lot of that for those types of sensations and emotions. But like I said before, I'm still learning a lot. Yeah, I think it's an ongoing process. I can, yeah, definitely as you get older. As we're speaking about interception, what would you, you know, I think interception is a bit of a new concept to some parents and professionals. And I was just wondering what you would say to them if they were unsure about, you know, how useful this would be or um, how important it is. For us, we feel that it's very important, but we would love to get your perspective and and what you would say to us. Yeah. So first thing that comes to my mind when you said that is this one client that I'm working with who we're doing just interoception work and we, he's 30, 30. Mm-hmm. His mom has, has said that, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm having a relationship with my child. I'm connecting. He's sharing so much about himself. Now his vocabulary has increased his ability to tune in to his surroundings has increased and they're they're getting to see a part of him they've never been able to see mm-hmm. as he's learning to connect better with himself and his body and what he's experiencing and and learning a language for it and another one of my clients that I work with went from being told or just having really severe behavioral challenges to now being able to advocate for some of what he needs and knowing when he has, when he needs support and went from hitting or kicking somebody multiple times a day to now doing it once a month. Yeah. Yeah. And that opened up the doors to so many um, amazing opportunities for him that he couldn't do before because he, wasn't able to, he didn't know and he didn't know how to express what he was experiencing. He consistently, this is a non-speaking young man who does typing, and consistently would communicate that he's bad or he's doing these Mm -hmm. things on purpose to be mean, but he's learned that that's not the case. It's because he's frustrated or, and when he asks for help, then, or when he's able to articulate that he's yeah. frustrated, he's he's able to modify what he's doing or he's able to get some of the supports and he's no longer blaming himself. And it's not just an improvement for him. It's an improvement for his parents and his caregivers as well. Um, you know, when before the parents and the school system and the caregivers all had to be worried that like, you know, we're going to get punched, we're going to get kicked, we're going to get scratched or something. Now they don't have to worry every day, gosh, am I going to get socked in the face, right? So it's not just a huge change for the individual, it's a huge change for everybody around them. So the parents who are sort of resisting, exploring this idea of of interoception, um, they're doing so to their own peril. It's going to make their life better as, as well as the child's life. And one of the 
challenges with interoceptive work is that a lot of individuals have learned to copy or recite things that they've they say what they think you want them to hear. Yeah. How do you say it? They, they say what other they think other people want to hear. Yeah, or they label certain situations with an emotion, but they're not connecting it yeah. to themselves, and they're not understanding really what that means, what stressed means. They know they shouldn't be stressed, but they don't really understand what it means to be stressed. Mm-hmm. And so when you talk to a child or somebody and ask them questions about their emotions, it might seem like they're really comprehending, but they might not be. Yeah, you really have to dig deep. Um, Kim finds very, very often that when she asks, you know, a young person with autism, why did you do X? And she'll get an answer, but the answer is what the parents have told them, you know, like when they did this behavior before and the parents say, well, you do that because you're selfish or you do that because you're bad or you do that because, you know, you're just, you are, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And so Kim says, well, why did you do that? And they think, well, what did my parents tell me? Well, my parents told me I did it because of this. And so they'll just parrot that back. And then Kim has to do so much work to sort of detangle. And it's almost like, you know, diffusing a, a bomb <laughs> has to get in there and really undo all of this uh, negative training that's happened to get at the actual reason why that's happening so that, you know, they can then fix it. Yeah. And language is, is another part that is sometimes overlooked too, is for example, I was working with a young man and we were going over what does your heart feel like mm-hmm. after dirt certain activities and this was at the very very beginning of our interoceptive work and I had him you know do 10 jumping jacks and put his hand put your hand over your your heart what do you feel he said soft and smooth and I recognized that he was talking about his shirt he was feeling his shirt he wasn't feeling his heart he wasn't tuning into that the next time I said what do you notice what do you notice in your heart? And he was said, it's beating fast. And so he he was recognizing that, but the language was a barrier unless if you were able to word it. Yeah. yeah. Or sometimes they use different senses. So they might see that I had I had him drink lemon water. And his eyes were open and asked him how, what he noticed and in his mouth. And he said sour. And I asked if he liked it and he said yes. And then I had him close his eyes and had his mom surprise him with what he was going to drink. And with the lemon, he, he said it was sour, but he also said puckering lips and no, I don't like it because he was using his intellect before and his I don't know the right right term right now but he was his intellect was sort of overriding his sensory system yeah he was looking at the situation and he was saying okay I know that this is lemon water lemons are sour and that learned behavior that learned thing from what you had like this is what it's supposed to be like we see that so much so it's just it's awesome to hear your perspective because 
absolutely everything that you just said, that is exactly what we see when we work with our clients. So, and it takes time to, to unpack some of those things and really have that individual understand that we're trying to figure out who you are. I don't want you to give me just the answers that you've been given. I want to figure out who authentically you are and what you authentically experience. Because if you don't, then how can I be an effective therapist and help you? Because I'm just going to put a bandaid on something that shouldn't be bandaided. It should be discovered and really worked on. And, and that, you know, takes time, but we definitely, we definitely see that. Yeah. And I think part of that is, is being curious with every, like, I think parents need to be curious with, with everything. I'm, I'm thinking of um, a, during a talk I did recently, a parent asked about a daughter who was repeating a story over and over in a social situation. And even though she's been coached that this is like, people don't like it, et cetera. Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. And they're thinking like, okay, is this more of like a repeated, um, a repeated behavior? Is she in a kind of a loop or whatever. And really it it's, I, what, what was it? Help me out, William. Um, I, I think the reason she was, it was uh, profound. I, right. Yeah. Um, the boy, I'm trying to think, I, I believe that the, the reason she was doing it is because she was trying to relate that some way socially to what was going on and make sense of the kind of make sense of the interaction. And she was relating it to a movie. I think that's what it was. She kept repeating the same movie. And, but in my mind, if, if her parents could hone in on that and not look at it as a behavior, but look at it as a skill that needs help being developed, I, I think that young lady could be an amazing you know, actress or amazing storyteller because of the examples that dad was giving on how she was, what she was doing. Because she was like doing the voices with the whole, mm-hmm. she was acting out the parts. <laughs> I think we so underestimate what, people can do what autistic people can do it's just we've kind of been asking um we're going to kind of be continuing this with several people that we interview so we just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on what you think of things being age appropriate for adults so like if a an adult person is watching say you know a kids tv show or something or even like having collectibles in their room that are more childlike or things like that. We just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that. My thoughts are if (laughs) I'm trying to think of the right words, I have a picture. What I find enjoyable and what gives me joy and pleasure and is relaxing, that's, that's personal. That's what, that's for me to decide and nobody else. I think a lot of stuff that (laughs) You know, talking about politics and news and going out to dinner, all that is stupid to me. (laughs) But I understand that it has a function for for the people who who like that. And, you know, that's okay for them to do that. So if I like to spend, you know, an hour and a half playing with color forms, which I've been doing almost nightly now, for a few weeks, which are like little sticker things that you can make scenes kind of like window clings, oh, but window clings, on, a, yeah. on a book thing. Hmm. And they have, uh, 
they're very childish. Well, I don't think they're childish, but I think that people would say that they're childish. They're like princesses and animals and stuff. But that gives me so much pleasure. And I'm able to actually disconnect from the the world in a way that I'm able to be myself without having to try so hard to figure out, to mm. figure things out. It's giving my brain a break and it's providing you know, opportunity to play, to be imaginative, which is an, I mean, imagination is an important skill that people need to practice until they die. And it, play is too, play is a skill. And, you know, I had a, I'm having a, a well, supposed to have a surgery done, a hip surgery done. And during the recovery time, I'm not able to, to move around or, or get out of the bed and stuff. So I was trying to find creative ways to keep myself entertained. And one of the things that I asked the doctor was, how about kicking a balloon or hitting a balloon? And he said, what are you a child? And my response is, if I like it, then yeah, it doesn't matter to you. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it brings so much, just try it. What, how about before you judge, try it, try some of these things, you know, and it, it brings, what does it bring to you when you see me? Like, how am I when I'm doing those? Oh, it brings me a ton of joy. I just love watching oh. her. And then, you know, she'll play with these stickers. And then our windows are covered in, in you know, stickers. Uh, usually they're holiday-specific stickers. As a matter of fact, I was remembering one time a uh, delivery guy brought something to the door. I forget what he was delivering. But, uh, you know, Kim had made, it was close to Christmas, and Kim had lit, made, like, a, a little stick figure snowman on the porch and she had her little window clings up and and so the, the delivery guy was dropping off this package and he goes oh you guys got kids huh and i go no you know and he just looked like i respond to that you know um but it is uh very sort of strange and i think a little bit of a double standard because you know, what is more childish, the autistic person who likes to watch cartoons or the grown adult who spends hours upon hours watching football? You're watching another man play a sport on television. Like, how is that more, quote unquote, adult than, you know, watching a cartoon or reading a comic book or, you know, playing, or, you know, making paintings, things like that. Um, so we've got a very sort of curious idea of what is adult. Uh, my sister just bought, my brother was telling a story uh, about how when we were kids, he wanted this G.I. Joe aircraft carrier and he never got it. You know, And so my sister uh, for his birthday, Aww. sent him a GI Joe aircraft carrier, and and you know this is a forty five banker who is a you know very you know accomplished investment so banker cool. who's just over the moon to get yeah. this you know child's toy. It's you know you know no judgment. It's hey, that's what's like, yeah. You know? Are we to say that you know the t the things that you do in your own life and the the little pleasures you have, and I think 
you know, kids and teens put so much pressure on themselves saying, well, this is not what everyone else is doing. This is not what my parents or my teachers or whatever is saying I should be doing. So it's essentially taking your joy away. And it's a taking that time away where you can really explore and be creative. Like I'm a really big advocate on that too. Like even in for myself, there was a time where I told myself, stop imaginary playing in your head or stop doing this in your head. And, and then I lost myself for a little bit. And coming back to that is like, well, why can't we even as adults have all these outlets and do what we want? Because that's, that's what we survived for. We survived to be an adult to do what we want. And so why can't we? (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. And also a lot of those things that I'm sure that that skill for you has helped you tremendously in so many different ways be, you know, great at what you do. And it being able to shut your mind off to everything is healthy. Yeah. When it's, I mean, you can't do it all the time, of course not, but it's not healthy to constantly have your mind engaged in in thinking activities it's good to just be I mean that's mindfulness practice and the way I practice mindfulness is going to be much different than how you that's so true for everyone yeah thank you Kim we're no, I appreciate you saying that. That kind of helps me validate myself a little. So, <laughs> did you have any final thoughts that you want to share for any um, autistic individuals there, parents, professionals that you? I want to just end by sharing something that I wrote. I'm realizing that it is not the disability or illness, so developmental, psychological, and medical, that prevents me from doing things or moving towards my goals, but rather it's the thoughts about what I should or should not be doing, and it's the expectations that I need to do things a certain way or by a certain time. These shoulds and expectations prevent me from trying. I am realizing that sometimes I may need to take a step back or stay put in order for me to eventually move forward. I am learning that some days I may be able to do a lot, but other days I'm not, but that both days I can still be doing something. I have to redefine my idea of being productive. It's not about how much I've accomplished or how many things I've completed, but rather it's about doing the best that I can in that present moment. So it means that working on a project for four hours one day is just as productive as only being able to pay a bank bill on another day. Adapting self-compassion in this way is essential and the key to moving towards goals. Without it, I become paralyzed with frustration and disappointment, and that leads to self-doubt and self-destruction. It's important to realize what defines capability. Disability and illness, they don't determine how capable I am. That's determined by me and me alone. I decide whether I'll be paralyzed by the shoulds and expectations or whether I will be guided by self-compassion. And I think it's really, really important for people to understand that to get to this place that, that I got to when I wrote this, I had to get to a place where I accepted, well, that I discovered who I was without the other's expectations in there I had to discover my strengths and accept what my challenges were and advocate for what I needed 
And I needed to have people like William in my life who, who helped me to know that it was okay to be me. And, and being able to get to that place of self-acceptance then allows me to get to a place where I'm not, I'm not defining myself by what I'm doing or what I'm not able to do at a certain time. It gives me room to grow and it opens up doors to so many possibilities and opportunities. And it's important to help your child. If you're a parent out there, it's important to help your child get to that place to help them understand that, you know, they're beautiful just the way they are, even when they have challenging behaviors or challenges, they're still beautiful and they're still, you know, they're still trying the best that they can. And you have moments that are challenging and you have challenges, but you're still trying the best that you can help your child realize that, you know, that's okay. It's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to be who I am. Wow. No, Kim and William, thank you guys so much for just your, your thoughts and, and your perspective on things. And I think it validates Debbie and I so much more, you know, we had these, these thoughts and, and, we're going back and forth with each other, but to actually hear it from someone else's voice too is is extremely helpful. Yeah, you are truly an inspiration, Kim and William. You are you guys are adorable couple. <laughs> for having us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for what you're doing. Have a wonderful night. Thank you, guys. Okay, thank bye. you. You guys too. Bye. We love hearing from you. So if you have questions, comments, or just want to connect. You can find our links to LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram on our show notes. Feel free to drop us a message, leave us a comment, or ask a question, or just share your thoughts with us. Your thoughts matter, and we can't wait to hear from you.